Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, September 8th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Man, I'm fed up. Fed up with the Fed. If you listen to this show regularly, you probably are too. After all, you know that the Fed's decade-plus of artificially low interest rates caused the massive spike in price inflation we suffered through over the last couple of years. The Fed has addicted the economy to easy money. Now it's taking that away, and it's almost certainly going to drive the economy into a deep recession in the next year or two. You also know that the Fed's monetary policy creates all kinds of malinvestments in the economy. It incentivizes debt, and it generally creates economic mayhem while pointing the finger at everybody else, you know, playing the blame game. And here's another thing. The Fed is the engine that drives the biggest, most powerful government in the history of the world. If you are an advocate for limited government at all, the Fed is your sworn enemy. Without a central bank, it would be impossible for the U.S. government to borrow and spend the way that it does. The Federal Reserve feeds both the warfare and the welfare states. So yeah, I'm fed up with all of that. When I did the Ask Mike Anything episode a few weeks back, somebody asked me to explain exactly what the Federal Reserve is and how it works. Like, what does it actually do? And really, kind of too big of a subject to take on uh, in that particular episode. But since it was a relatively quiet news week, I thought I would uh, take a shot at tackling it today. But before I get into all that, I do want to cover a couple of news items from this past week. Kind of looking at gold over the last week, didn't really do a whole lot. It rallied last week. Uh, If you remember, it pushed back over $1,900 an ounce after falling uh, down close to $1,850 at one point. And... uh, That was because of relatively weak economic data. Remember, we live in the upside-down world where bad news is good news. Um, And this week, there wasn't a whole lot of news. Uh, Gold faced some headwinds with a strengthening dollar, but even so, it's held above that $1,900 an ounce resistance point, uh, at least through close yesterday. And, you know, kind of looking at the big picture, the yellow metal is locked into a pretty narrow range on either side of $1,900 an ounce. And I think it's going to pretty much stay there until the next shoe drops in the economy. And, you know, that could be Tomorrow, it could be six months from now. Hard to tell. Uh, You know, there are certainly signs that uh, things in the economy aren't as rosy as the Biden administration and Jerome Powell and and the talking heads on MSNBC would have you believe. Um, You know, we got the uh, the non non farm payroll uh, report, jobs report last week uh, on Friday, and. It beat expectations, but I think the most significant thing is when you look at the jobs numbers that the BLS is putting out, they ought to call it the BS, uh, because every month this year has been revised downward. So they come out and they report this 
you know, big number, and then quietly a month or two later, they revise those numbers down. So the impression that you're getting from the headlines is that, you know, we're just adding jobs, jobs, jobs. But in reality, not nearly as many jobs are being added because they're going back and revising these numbers. And, you know, that has to tell you something, right? Uh, Peter Schiff talked about it on his podcast. Uh, you know, he basically thinks that the um, the BLS and a lot of these government agencies are, are just overestimating the strength of the economy. So they're just making assumptions. And those assumptions are being reflected in the data. And I think he's absolutely correct on that. Um I think we might see another sell-off in gold next week when the CPI data comes out for August. Um, I have an inkling that the headline number is actually going to tick up a bit, and that'll get everybody thinking, oh, the Fed needs to raise rates more and keep rates higher longer and and all of this stuff that we've heard. And we're going to keep hearing that. We're going to keep hearing that the Fed is you know, locked in, target on inflation, Uh, It's going to stay that way until something really breaks in the economy. So if we do indeed get an uptick in CPI, which I think is entirely possible, then you're going to hear more hawkish talk from the Fed. And, uh, you know, I talked about uh, after the last CPI data came out uh, for July, the math is starting to work against that annual number uh, that the media likes to bandy about and the one that everybody pays attention to. Uh, The bigger numbers, the big increases that we had last year have now fallen out of the calculation. So it's hot unlikely that you're going to see any more big drops over the next months. Um, and, and you're going to see possibly some ticks up because the numbers that are dropping off on the back end are smaller numbers. And there's another big problem on the horizon when it comes to CPI, and that's energy prices. You know, falling energy prices were a significant factor in the big decline in CPI earlier this year, and they ain't falling anymore. Uh, If you've gone to the gas station lately, you know that. Um, In fact, gasoline prices increased year over year this week for the first time since February 2022. According to EIA data that was released on Tuesday, the average national price was $3.93 per gallon. That was a 1.7% increase from the same week in September a year ago. Um, on an annual basis, now kind of going back and little background, you know, CPI fell to 3% in June, and the mainstream breathlessly came out and reported that the end of price inflation was in sight, Fed's won, everything's great. Um, But big drops in energy prices helped bring that overall CPI number down, that along with math. Uh, Broadly speaking, energy prices fell by 16.7% year-on-year in June, and gasoline prices were down 26.5%. So when we got that big drop in CPI in June, a lot of that was because energy prices fell to such a large degree. Now, rising gasoline prices are kind of set to unwind that progress. And I actually warned that this would happen last month in an article over at shiftgold.com slash news. I wrote, one of the main reasons we've seen a big drop in CPIs due to a 50% drop in the price of oil between the summer of 2022 and April 2023. But over the last three months, oil prices have gone up about 25%. 
I wrote this again a month ago. Uh, we've had an, an even bigger increase in oil prices since then. So if oil prices continue on this trajectory, it's going to put significant upward pressure on CPI in the closing months of this year. It will also put another drag on the economy. So I wrote that a month ago, and indeed, that's how things are playing out, at least up to this point. And, you know, we're not talking just a little upward blip in the gasoline prices. The price of Brent crude hit $90 a barrel on September 5th. Uh, That was the first time we've seen that number since last November. Um, Now, August CPI, again, that'll come out next week. That's not going to reflect this big jump in gasoline prices, but we will likely notice the impact in the September CPI data. Um, Where we are, really, is the stage is set for a reversal in trend, with a switch from a downward force on CPI by energy prices, um, although that downward force has been decreasing. Uh, We're going to get an outright upward force on CPI from rising gasoline prices. So, be prepared for more panic on the CPI front as we move into the last months of 2023. Now, some people are going to take solace in the fact that rising gasoline prices aren't going to impact core CPI because, of course, they strip food and gasoline prices out of core CPI because they say they're more volatile. This annoys the fire out of me because I can't strip uh, food and gasoline prices out of my budget. Be nice if I could, but I can't. Um, but anyway, the, the Fed likes that core CPI. So, you know, maybe core CPI is going to go down with oil coming out. But um, as I pointed out on the show, core CPI has hardly budged, uh, even though we've seen a big drop in the headline numbers. And Wolf Street actually projects that we're going to see an increase in core CPI uh, coming up. Uh, Over there, they wrote, core CPI itself will rise even if the usual inflation suspects services turn out to be benign. It will rise due to the base effect, the base for the year-over-year comparison being last year's cooling. So, again, math. And due to the end of the odious massive adjustment to health insurance, starting with the October CPI to be released in November. So, you know, as is true with most of these government numbers. They're constantly tinkering with things. They're making assumptions. They're making adjustments, hedonics, and all of these things. And they were messing with health insurance. That's going to come off the books. So, again, be prepared for a little bit of CPI panic uh, as, as we move down the road. Now, don't worry, because National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said President Biden is, quote, doing everything within his toolkit to be able to get lower prices for consumers at the gas pump, as if the president has anything at all to do with gasoline prices. Uh, but whatever is in that toolkit, the kit's about empty. Uh, in fact, Biden tried to mitigate soaring gasoline prices in 22 in 2022 by selling oil from the strategic reserve, which is really the only thing that the the government can do other than enacting wage and price controls. But even as oil prices fell over the last several months, the Biden administration never replenished those reserves. If you look at it, they're still rock bottom. So the bottom line is oil prices are going to continue to rise, um, or they are continuing to rise, and they're going to take gasoline prices up with them. And this is going to impact the CPI moving forward. Americans are about to be smacked in the face with an ugly reality. Disinflation, cooling CPI, it was transitory.
In another bit of news this week, we got the latest central bank gold buying data, courtesy of the World Gold Council uh, this week. And in a nutshell, central banks are still buying a lot of gold. Globally, central banks reported net purchases of 55 tons in July. Um, The People's Bank of China ranked as the largest buyer in July. It added 23 tons of gold to its holdings. Uh, It was the ninth consecutive month of buying for the Chinese Central Bank. Uh, China is the largest gold buyer so far this year. It's increased its official reserves uh, by 188 tons. The uh, People's Bank of China now officially holds 2,136 tons of gold, and that makes up 4% of its total reserves. The National Bank of Poland also was a big buyer in July. It added 22 tons of gold to its holdings, and it was the fourth consecutive month of gold purchases for the Polish Central Bank. Uh, It's added 71 tons in that four-month period. Um, Interestingly, back in the fall of 2021, so like two years ago, uh, Bank of Poland President Adam Klepinski said the central bank planned to add 100 tons of gold to its reserves in 2022, uh, and it never did it. It's not really clear why the bank didn't follow through, but with the purchases this year, it's now just 29 tons short of that stated goal. you know, I think what Glapinski said when he announced the expansion of Polish gold reserves is uh, worth repeating. He said holding gold was a matter of financial security and stability. Quote, gold will retain its value even when someone cuts off the power to the global financial system, destroying traditional assets based on electronic accounting records. Of course, we do not assume that this will happen, but as the saying goes, Forewarned is always insured, and the central bank is required to be prepared for even the most unfavorable circumstances. That is why we see a special place for gold in our foreign exchange management process. You know, kind of reading between the lines, it's like, who could turn off the power to the global financial system? That would basically be the United States, right? I think the, and even though Poland's pretty friendly to the United States, I think they see the writing on the wall. I think a lot of countries are wary of the dollar and the control that the United States has over the global system because of uh, the reserve currency status of the dollar. And I think that's why a lot of these central banks are buying gold. You will notice that a lot of the gold buying banks are um, BRICS nations. They are nations that aren't necessarily friendly to the United States. And I think part of it is they are hedging against the dollar. Um, There were three other banks that bought gold in July, at least in significant amounts. Uh, Qatar, three tons. Singapore, two tons. And the Czech Republic, two tons. Also, interestingly, Libya's central bank reported a gold purchase of 30 tons uh, back in June. And that was after the data for that month had already been compiled. So June's number was actually boosted quite a bit by that uh, central bank of Libya purchase. Um, And there are also reports that Russia will recommence the buying of foreign currency and gold in the coming months. Uh, No details about the plan, just kind of on the rumor mill. But uh, if you remember a couple of years ago, Russia was the big buyer of gold. So uh, we may see the Russians returning to the gold table here in the near future. Okay, let's talk about the Federal Reserve. What exactly is it? 
Is it a government entity? Is it a private entity? Is it a bank? Is it a, a government bureau? Yeah, pretty much all of those things. It's this weird hybrid. Uh, I don't know. Anytime I, I think about the Fed, if I was going to make it into an animal, it would be an octopus. You know, it's got all these tentacles flopping around everywhere, and it's hard to tell like where the middle is. Um, but at its core, the Fed is a government entity that supports the government. Now, as a side benefit, it enriches a lot of private individuals. But, I mean, that's basically what all government does, right? I always think about Representative Hal Rogers. He's from my home state of Kentucky. Um, and he was a poor boy from eastern Kentucky until he managed to get elected to the House of Representatives. And he's been there forever. And now he's a rich boy from eastern Kentucky. And it wasn't because of anything that he did outside of government, you know. So, nice work if you can get it. But anyway, I digress. Um, you know, we talk about the Fed. A lot of people make a big deal out of the fact that the Fed is supposedly a private corporation, a private entity. But I don't know. I, I, I don't really buy into that mantra because, I mean, you have to look at how things are in reality. And the fact of the matter is the Federal Reserve was created by the federal government. The rules it operates under were created by the government. The president appoints the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors. They're confirmed by the Senate. They're accountable to the to Congress. So, you know, Fed people are ultimately answerable to the government. And so, I think at the end of the day, it's basically like a fourth branch of government. Now, certainly has private aspects to it which work to its advantage. It can keep things kind of secret, and it can kind of do things that normal private entities couldn't do. Um, but still, in my view, at its, uh, at its core, it's part of the government. Now, supposedly the Fed is independent. I mean, they make a big deal about independence. So even if you could argue that it's part of the government, it's independent. That means the Fed is supposedly insulated from political pressures, and it makes its decisions solely based on economic and monetary considerations. No politics at all, right? But of course, we all know that's BS. It doesn't work that way in real life. Uh, just consider Arthur Burns. Arthur Burns was the uh, Fed chairman appointed by President Richard Nixon. And he was supposed to be one of the good guys. Uh, Burns was an advocate for free markets. He was an advocate for sound money. He was an advocate for the gold standard. But over time, Nixon badgered and bullied him into artificially lowering interest rates and signing off on economic reforms that included severing the dollar from its last connections to the gold standard. Burns cared more about maintaining his reputation and his popularity among the ruling elite than he did about his principles. So that's pretty much all you need to know about Fed independence. Uh, it's really interesting. If you if you Google and find some stuff about Arthur Burns, it's really interesting uh, the story that kind of unfolds and and just how Richard Nixon badgered and bullied him. Anyway. So technically, the Federal Reserve operates the central banking system of the United States. Um, you will sometimes hear it referred to as the Banker's Bank or the Government Bank. Um, 
It was originally sold as a way to protect against bank runs by providing liquidity to the banking system. But in reality, it was conjured up by politicians and politically connected bankers as a way to micromanage the economy, empower the government, and ultimately put more money into the pockets of said bankers and politicians. Um, If you've read anything about how the Fed got started, the origins are pretty shady. I mean... You know, you can get real conspiracy theory with the Fed, but even if you kind of just look at it without any, uh, you know, predisposition, pretty shady. Um, The central bank was actually conceived during a secret meeting at a private club on Jekyll Island, Georgia. I've actually been there. Kind of, I don't know, there's something creepy about it. Um, According to an NPR article, Senator Nelson Aldrich Uh, He was the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. He organized this clandestine meeting. Quote, he told a handful of New York bankers to go on a given night, one by one, to a train station in New Jersey. There they would find a private rail car hitched to the back of a southbound train. To conceal their identities, Aldrich told the bankers to come dressed as duck hunters and to address each other only by first name. So, like I said, pretty freaking shady. Um... So, using a blueprint that was drawn up during this shady secret meeting, Congress created the Federal Reserve in 1913 via the Federal Reserve Act. Woodrow Wilson, my least favorite president, I think he's the most awful president ever, uh, he signed the bill into law on December 23, 1913. Now, the stated purpose of the Federal Reserve Act was to, quote, provide the nation with a safer, more flexible, and more stable monetary and financial system. In the years since then, the Fed's role in banking and the economy has expanded exponentially. Surprise, surprise, a government program that got bigger over time. The law sets out the purpose and structures and functions of the system, as well as outlining aspects of its operation and accountability. Uh, Congress established three key objectives for monetary policy in the Federal Reserve Act. One, it's to maximize employment. Two, stabilize prices. And three, moderate long-term interest rates. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment and, and mention the fact that you know, we talk a lot about uh, America being capitalist and America being free market. I don't know about capitalist because I'm not even sure what that word means anymore, but it's certainly not free market. When you have a small handful of bankers, politically connected bankers at that, who are trying to maximize employment, stabilize prices, and moderate long-term interest rates, this is socialism. This is manipulation of the economy. It's not free market at all. So anybody that says that the United States has a free market economy, yeah, it's free market-ish, but as long as there's a central bank that is just literally micromanaging the monetary system and the financial system, it ain't a free market. Anyway, that's that's an aside. So, um, Congress left itself, of course, the power to amend the Federal Reserve Act. Um, The system is composed of a central governing body, the Board of Directors, um, headquartered in Washington, D.C., and then there are 12 regional Federal Reserve banks that are located in major cities throughout the U.S. Uh, The Fed does not receive any government funding. It technically operates as a for-profit corporation. So that's where you get this idea, well, it's not a government entity, it's a private business. Um, 
and that's true. It, it it is a for-profit business. It does make money. Well, it's not making money now, but uh, it's actually losing money. But under normal operating conditions, it's supposed to make money. Um, the Fed drives its income primarily from the interest on government bonds that it buys through open market operations, in other words, quantitative easing. Um, after paying all of its expenses, the Federal Reserve turns the rest of the earnings over to the U.S. Treasury. So that's where it becomes not like a private corporation, right? It's not going to the stockholders. The profits aren't going to um, any you know shady individuals. Well, well <laughs> I, I guess you could call the people in the U.S. government shady individuals. So in that sense, it is going to shady individuals, but it actually goes to the U.S. government. So, the Fed actually pays all of its profits to the U.S. Treasury. And that's an interesting thing that's happening right now because of uh, quantitative tightening, because it is letting bonds roll off its books. The Fed is actually losing money right now. That means the U.S. government is not getting that little bit of windfall. So, in essence, because the Fed is losing money, it's actually exacerbating the budget deficit. Um, I wrote about this uh, several months ago over at shiftgold.com slash news. I'll try to find that article and link to it in the show notes page that explains exactly how uh, this remittance works and, and what's going to happen once the Fed starts making money again. Um, kind of interesting thing, but I don't want to get into that right now. Kind of stick to the, uh, the broad outlines of what the Fed is doing. So, according to the Federal Reserve website, the central bank performs five key functions. So, this is what the Fed supposedly does. It conducts the nation's monetary policy to promote maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates in the U.S. economy. I already kind of mentioned that. It promotes the stability of the financial system and seeks to minimize and contain systemic risk through active monitoring and engagement in the U.S. and abroad. It promotes the safety and soundness of individual financial institutions and monitors their impacts on the financial system as a whole, fosters payment and settlement system safety, and F efficiency through services to the banking industry and the U.S. government that facilitate U.S. dollar transactions and payments, and finally, promotes consumer protection and community development through consumer-focused supervision and examination, research, and analysis of emerging consumer issues and trends, community economic development activities, and the administration of consumer laws and regulations. So, if you want me to sum all of that uh, Fed talk up, Basically, they regulate the crap out of the financial system and the economy. They make regulations. They make rules. Um, they oversee the banks. Um, they do some structural stuff within the financial system. They actually do facilitate the movement of money. So, uh, I guess we could maybe say that's useful, but could be done with private entities. Just saying. Um, you know, the bottom line is the Fed exercises significant control over the U.S. banking system. For example, member banks must subscribe to stock in the regional Federal Reserve Bank in the amount equal to 6% of their capital and surplus. So, it's nothing like being a, you know, Nothing like being a stockholder in a public company. Holding the stock doesn't confer any kind of control over the Fed. So, like, if I have stock in ABC Corporation, I actually have a vote. I, I theoretically have some control of the company. Uh, if you're holding Fed stock, no, you don't, because basically Congress and, and the government are in control of it. Um, the Federal Reserve serves a number of other functions. It runs the check clearing system in the U.S. It regulates private banks and, as already mentioned, 
uh, as I already mentioned, it runs the country's monetary policy not very well. Um, you know, so that's why we had transitory inflation for a little while, you know, because they're doing such a bang up job uh, running that monetary policy. Also, the U.S. government's checking account is with the Fed. So basically, the Fed is the government's bank. Um, all of the federal government's incoming deposits go into this Federal Reserve account. So like when you pay your taxes, it actually goes into that Fed account. And outgoing payments come out of that Fed account. Um, but really, the real power of the Federal Reserve lies in its ability to just conjure up money out of thin air. Uh, I'm talking about money printing. And that is why I say the, the Fed is the engine that drives the biggest, most powerful government in history. It has the ability to print money. Now, I don't mean it literally runs dollar bills off on a printer in the basement of the Eccles building. Modern money, modern money creation is digital. Um, but the Fed can literally write a check and even if there aren't any funds in any Fed account anywhere, when that check is deposited into another account, poof, new money appears. Whoever gets that check gets the new money. The Federal Reserve literally cannot bounce a check. So this enables the central bank to expand the money supply at its discretion. This is basically what quantitative easing is, right? The Fed goes in the open market. It buys U.S. Treasuries. It writes a check to a bank or whoever owns the treasury, usually their banks or their institutions. So it, it writes a check and that bank, boom, gets money in its account. The Fed gets this treasury bond, but there's no account over at the Fed that the money comes out of because the money just poof is created out of thin air. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you love it if you could just like go write a check and, and your account had no limits? Like you could never bounce a check? Imagine if everybody could do that. Think about what the problem would be. Everybody would be trying to buy everything, right? You'd be going out and everybody would be trying to buy a, a Ferrari or whatever. Uh, if, if you didn't have any restraint on your spending at all, you could just like write infinite checks. Everything would cost a bajillion dollars because... There would be so many people trying to buy a limited amount of stuff. That's inflation. That's how it works. So that's why we talk about the Fed creating inflation. It is the root cause because it, it is the entity that is creating the money. Now, according to the powers that be, this is a feature, not a bug. The Fed's ability to inflate the money supply supposedly creates economic stability. Now, we know this is BS, right? It doesn't create economic stability at all. It creates malinvestment. It incentivizes debt. And it allows the federal government to keep borrowing and spending and borrowing and spending and borrowing and spending. Um, and, and, and that's really, again, what's facilitating this giant, enormous, big spending government. Um, I've talked before on the show about how the Fed puts its big fat thumb on the bond market through quantitative easing. It's buying U.S. debt with money created out of thin air. And the artificial demand created by the Fed when it buys these treasuries mean that the, uh, means that the U.S. government can sell more bonds at a much lower interest rate than it would be able to in a free market. So it keeps the government's borrowing cost low. Ron Paul was right. If you want to limit the federal government, all you have to do is end the Fed. Unfortunately, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But as long as you have a Fed, 
you're going to have inflation because that's what it does. That's basically its primary role. It is the way the government creates money. And remember, inflation is literally money creation, right? Inflation is an expansion of the money supply and credit. That leads to price inflation. Price inflation is a symptom of monetary inflation. So what I'm saying is whenever the Fed is creating money out of thin air, prices across the board are going to be higher than they otherwise would have been. Now, it's difficult to kind of cipher out how much of a price increase is actual inflation from the Fed and how much of it is just normal fluctuations in prices or supply shocks. There are all kinds of things that can raise prices. But like, look at the price of oil, right? We have the price of oil going up right now. A lot of that is because there are supply shortages. There are supply constrictions. Um, you know, when demand increases, you will see increases in prices. That's not really inflation, or that's not. Pr- it is price inflation because prices are going up, but it's not monetary inflation. But when you have monetary inflation, you're going to have a little bit of a price rise on top of the price rise you're getting from whatever economic factors are involved. So as long as you've got the Fed you're going to have price inflation. And that's why you want to have gold and silver to protect your wealth from the constant devaluation of your money courtesy of the central bank. Remember, the policy is to have 2% inflation. They want prices to rise by 2% every single year. They want to devalue your money by 2% every single year. So that's why I recommend... A lot of people recommend holding precious metals in your portfolio as part of your overall investment strategy because it is a way to hedge against inflation. And people keep saying, well, Mike, gold hasn't gone up. We've had all this inflation. If you actually look at the numbers, gold has gone up over the last couple of years. It hasn't gone up as much as you might think it should have, but it's definitely been going up. And we've talked about all of the factors that have put headwinds on both gold and silver. Um, But we've still seen healthy increases in gold over the last couple of years has been one of the best performing assets, Um, even with all of the headwinds, even with dollar strength, even with all of this um, idiotic thinking that somehow the uh, Fed is going to win the inflation fight and manage to keep interest rates high and not wreck the economy. Anyway, all of that to say, if you're interested in adding gold or silver to your investment portfolio, or increasing your position, or if you're just curious, I highly recommend talking to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can call them at 1-888-GOLD-160, email info at shiftgold.com, or go to shiftgold.com to the Getting Started tab, and you can talk to a Precious Metal Specialist right there online. And as I say every single week, these guys are absolutely fantastic. They're going to answer your questions. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to look at your investment goals, what you're trying to do, and they're going to help you see how Precious Metals, gold, silver, platinum, how they might fit into your investment strategy. So just give them a call today. Like I said earlier in the show, I think that gold is going to kind of stay range-bound for a while, but at some point it is going to break out. Um, even the mainstream people think that uh, gold is going to break out in the uh, in the future. So do that today. Don't wait. 
So with that, we're going to call it a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on the Shipgold YouTube channel and in other places. You can find all of those uh, at the uh, show notes page along with our social media channels. Um, you're welcome to email me, M Mahari, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. Love hearing from folks. Um, this discussion on the Fed was the result of an email that I got, so feel free to write, and uh, I'll get back to you. I'm slow, but I eventually will get back to you. So anyway, I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and I will talk to you again next week.